I know you've been standing for a little while tonight, and so what I'd like for you to do is go with me to our focus verse. Then you can be seated, and we'll start working our way through this chapter a little bit. Uh, I'm going to do my very, very best to uh, get where I want to go. I can't make you any promises. Praise God. Uh, Chapter 45 of Isaiah, verse 22. Let's read it together. Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. Look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. There's so much prophetic power in this. Because we can connect these ends of the earth even to the Gentile church that we are a part of. Acts chapter 2 and verse 39 is a powerful promise. Not just to those that were gathered there on the day of Pentecost. But this promise is unto you, to your children, all who are far off. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Church, I want to tell you tonight. That there are a lot of people today that are telling us there are multiple paths to God. That there are multiple paths to heaven. But I am declaring to you tonight that I emphatically, unequivocally believe this book. That if you want salvation, you still got to look to the Savior. There, There is no other salvation in this world. But through him, amen. He said, look unto me and you shall be saved. I want to teach tonight, preach whatever happens just for a little bit from this subject. We have a Savior. We have a Savior. Praise the Lord. You may be seated in Jesus' name. Verse 20, he said, assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, ye that are escaped of the nations. They have no knowledge that set up the wood of their graven image and pray unto a God that cannot save. That's a problem with these Pentecostal churches. They're so judgmental on the path to salvation. Think about this tonight, church. He said they have no knowledge that set up their idol gods and they pray to a God that absolutely cannot save. He said, tell you and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord... And there is no God beside me. Think about it. There is no God else beside me. Let that sink in your heart there pretty quick. He's a jealous God. There's no other God beside me. A just God and a Savior. There 
beside me. In Isaiah, the 45th chapter, the prophetic power of this chapter and the very end of chapter 45 is the Lord declaring that he's going to raise up a man by the name of Cyrus who is going to set the children of Israel free. But there is also an incredible opportunity that is given in between the spaces of the narrative as it unfolds. God's going to raise him up. He's going to give him favor. He's going to elevate Cyrus, who is not an Israelite, going to elevate Cyrus, the Persian king, to a place that he can do whatever he needs to do to set the children of Israel free. You can say what you want to, but I still believe he holds the hearts of kings in his hands. I believe that God is still able to elevate people who may not be righteous people, but that he can give the opportunity for the righteous to be free. I am so very thankful tonight that when I walked into the house of the Lord, I did not have to hide my Bible under my hand. I did not have to come into this place and treat it like it was some secret society. But when I came in here tonight and sang, we're together again just praising the Lord, I could do that with freedom and liberty. Amen. I didn't have to worry about anybody holding a gun to my head. I didn't have to worry about anybody killing me tonight. You're looking at a man who is grateful that we live in a nation where we can freely worship and bless the name of the Lord. I believe that. But I also believe that there are people who worship him in sincerity and in truth in nations of this world that cannot praise him as freely as I can. They do not have a right to lift their voice. The other morning I was sitting in uh, uh, Cracker Barrel with Brother Mike Bingham. And there's a family that has visited our church in the past. They have uh, apostolic roots. If, if, I, if I told you what business they were in immediately, many of you would know it. They're in the food business. And uh, they came up to our table and began to share that there was something wrong with his head that day that he was hurting. He said, I just missed my doctor's appointment. I, I forgot the time and I'm late. And he said... But I really want you to pray for me. He said, I've had, have had pain in my head and I just can't, I can't shake it. I want, I want the Lord to touch me. And so I think he was insinuating, I would like for you to pray for me over the next several days. At which point, sitting there at the table in the middle of the restaurant, we just said, well, let's pray right now. Let's just pray. Let's pray right now. And we laid hands on him and began to pray to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob right there in the middle of Cracker Barrel. Why? Because we are blessed to live in a nation where we can do that. What I'm saying to you tonight is that there are people who are a lot less fortunate than we are. But they never cease to give him praise. How much more should we, the people of the name, that live in this land of the free and home of the brave, take every opportunity that we can to give him the praise that he deserves? Amen. So I believe that he sets up people to... Keep us established. I don't know that it will always be that way. I don't know what we'll see before the coming of the Lord. To be quite honest with you, I'm not real sure what we'll see by next year or the year after that. I really don't have, uh, I don't have any clue. If you could figure it out, my goodness, you'd be doing great things right now, I suppose. But this is what I do know. That in this narrative, this story as it unfolds, God uses a man and gives him power and authority in all the right places, with all the right people, to free the children of God. But the opportunity that is presented in the midst of this is so that the whole world may see that the God of Abraham, of, of Isaac, and of Jacob 
He is God. And that there is no God beside him. And that Cyrus, while you may be, uh, so to speak, the pawn in the hand of God, moving through uh, situations and people in order to free them and bring them out, please let it be known that I am the Savior and there is no Savior beside me. I may use men to speak to the right places and the right people, but it is my power that sets men free. Do you believe that tonight? So the Lord wants it to be known that there will be nobody else that gets the glory out of the things that he does. This is a dangerous place. When men begin to take the glory for the things that they have done, that God has done, and say that it's things that they have done. And so as the Lord is speaking prophetically over Cyrus, and I'm going to raise you up, and it's a great story to read, but the true power behind this is not the raising up of Cyrus. It's that the Lord wants it to be certain that no matter what man it is I raise up in what dispensation, I am the one that gets the glory. Period. So this leads us to the debate and debacle of false doctrine that has been presented. That if God is so jealous, then why in the world would he decide to share his glory with somebody else or another person? Why would the Lord, who says, I am jealous, I am God, there is no Savior beside me, why would that God divide himself and begin to introduce himself in different forms and different persons that they would receive a portion of that glory? And at what point does it become so confusing to the followers of God that they don't know really who to give the glory to. I don't want to get too deep here in the beginning. But I want to help somebody to see the error of the ways of Christianity. As it has somehow disconnected itself. I, I want to say this very very plainly and clearly tonight. Um, I don't want this to be offensive. But abrasive would be okay. Not everything that calls itself Christianity is connected to the vine. Not everything is connected to the holy root. Not everything is a branch. We believe that we have a pretty good idea in history where it happened. We could talk about that at another time. I believe we have... Pretty, pretty good idea when the aberration began, when it all started to, uh, to move in the wrong direction. It doesn't take men too long to mess things up. You can guarantee that. But you listen to Pastor when I tell you tonight that the, the dichotomy that was created, the, 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 uh, the separation, the ideologies of man, the creedal ideas that were created... They are not just another sprig off of the holy vine, the holy root. They are not just another branch off of the vine. There was a dissection. 
that has a form of godliness, but it denies the power thereof. And Paul told Timothy, please understand, this is not Pentecostal rhetoric. Paul told Timothy, he said, for those that have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof, from such, turn away. It is impossible for us to declare how much we love the truth, yet not to despise the false way. We are trying to somehow graft in some freakish kind of fruit into the vine. Listen, he is the only living sovereign God. He does not have to divide himself in order to conquer sin. He is the ultimate Savior, the atonement for our sin. We are not going to graft him in to some kind of vine, bring him in with some kind of a new interpretation. You hear me when I tell you that all uh, all roads to salvation do not lead to Rome. They lead directly to an upper room in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost where 120 were gathered there. I don't believe that there's another way in I believe you've got to repent of your sins and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sin and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost do you believe that I believe any other doctrine than that which was delivered unto us can I teach to you right here I believe it's a curse I felt it noteworthy that the apostle was so emphatic about it that he said, I don't even care if it's an angel. He said, if it's a man or it's an angel. How, how much do we have to look at modern theologies? And when I say modern, I use that term very loosely. I'm speaking of 15 to 1800 year old philosophies and theologies but they are modern compared to the orthodoxy of true power and authority of the book of Acts how long do we have to look at them and even more modern than that uh, that of the 17th and 18th century where men are stripping Bibles out of the hands of men and saying that is that is not sufficient in and of itself let me tell you about a visitation that I had from an angel We need to write our own scripture. We need to write our own Bible. And, I, you know, I remember as a little kid, and I, please understand, I'm, I'm really not trying to be offensive, but I remember as a little kid when I would hear the preacher get up and they would preach and they would say, don't add to or take away. Let him that added to or take away the words of this book. You're going to be cursed. I mean, the scripture just puts it out there. You're going to be damned if you add to or take away the words of this book. And I remember as a little kid, Leaning over to adults and, and asking questions like, then, why does so-and-so have a different kind of Bible than we have? I, uh, I, was, I was studying some things some time ago just out of curiosity. Um, <laughs> this almost sounds crazy. I hate to say it publicly. Someone had asked in, in, in our form of Pentecost, what I didn't know there was really other forms but if there was any connection that that 
wasn't, wasn't Jim Jones Pentecostal? <laughs> and I got, to, I got to kind of researching that a little bit. Now, folks, please don't read into this anything, okay? Don't, don't make this something it's not. But I got to wondering about that. How in the world do you get a bunch of people to move off to an isolated place and convince them how good the Kool-Aid is? You get them to all drink the Kool-Aid. I, I, I looked at my dad and I said, uh, I mean, all we're trying to do is just get people to live right. right. How in the world do these people talk people into doing this? Like move into a compound and you're all going to be my sister wives. These guys have got to know their kids are all going to be born with three eyes. After a while, this is going to get goofy. You know what I'm saying? And they're all touched by doctrines. They're not even birthed out of the Holy Scripture. And people are like, oh, man, yeah. That's the way to eternal life. And Jesus made it so simple for us. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but by me. I, you know, that's pretty simple. And so here's the conclusion I came to, okay? I just want to, I, I'm trying to hurry through this because I got somewhere I want to go. I took all of these ideas and all these philosophies and I brought them in together and I put them all in one big melting pot. Well, how can you do that? They're all so diverse. No, they're not really. They're all just false. So I just put them all in one false pot. And this is what I decided to do, to do okay? I simplified my life. A long, long time ago, I simplified my life. It didn't matter to me if it came out of, out of Rome. It didn't matter to me if it came out of, of uh, Salt Lake City. It didn't really matter to me where it came out of. What I decided to do is take it, put it all in one pot, and say it's false. And what I'm going to do, are you all ready for this? It's probably going to be so deep you're going to need your floaties. What I decided to do is, whatever is written in that book, right there, I just decided, I'm just going to take him at his word. And, and, and here's the thing, seriously. If I get to heaven, you listen to your pastor tonight. If I get to heaven and he says there was so much more for you than what was written in that book, then at that point it's his fault. Because if he wanted me to know that there was more, then he should have put another book in there. But he's not going to wait until 2020 for us to decide that there really was more to it than what he said. And so when I stand before the Lord, I'm going to stand before him and be judged according to that scripture by that word. And I'm going to stand before him and if he looks at me and says, there was more and you didn't take it, I'm going to ask him, then why didn't you give it to us? And so what I want to tell people is that if there's more than that, I really do hope you're right. Can I be honest with you? If, this, if what you're believing is true doctrine, even though it doesn't line up with the scripture, I hope you're right. But you had better hope that I'm wrong. Because when I stand before the Lord and he judges me, his word says I will be judged according to that book, to this word that we have. 
Well, you know, Pastor, I don't know. I read some pretty strong stuff the other day that there should have been 67 and not 66 books. Whatever that was, you need to get it out of your house, get it out of your life, and quit reading it. Well, Pastor, you sound awful closed-minded. No, it's not that we're closed-minded. It's that other people are so open-minded their brains are falling out. At what point does a society just finally say, this is getting a little ridiculous? You understand? But they didn't do it for Molech. When the priests of Molech said, here's what I'd like for you to do. We're going to set this big God up here and we're going to light his belly on fire. And what I want you to do is just bring your babies and lay them right here in his hand let them roll down in there and die. Oh, that's a great idea. And in our society, the god Molech has presented itself once again. We're taking babies and laying them in his hand and just letting them roll. I was talking to my mom this week, and I, I don't want to get her. She moved, so it's okay. She moved spots where they were. She was telling me about a dog. There was a dog. You know, my mom loves dogs, I think. My mom believes Rainbow, Rainbow Bridge is a real place. I'm pretty sure she loves dogs. And there was a doggy in the area that they were in that she thought was maybe getting abused. And she saw, saw a police officer and said something to the police officer. And they told, told my mom, said, yep, that's really happening. That's a, that, that, that's a, that's a big offense here. And uh, it's, a, it's a felony is what I understood her say. It's a felony. And when she told me that, I said, boy, that's something else. You know it? You can, go to, you can go to jail for letting your dog have too short of a leash and not feeding it. But if you got a baby in your belly, you can just go on to the clinic. You don't even have to be old enough. You don't even have to be old enough. Be 15 years old in high school and they don't even have to tell your parents. At what point do we just look at this and say... How far are we going to go before we say this present world has got some issues? You understand what I'm saying? I, I mean, let, let people look at us and point their finger and say, isn't it crazy how they just love God? I mean, they're weirdos. Those people worship God like he's God. The Lord told Cyrus, he said, these, the, speaking about Cyrus, he said, be sure that he knows that these people that set up their wooden gods, no matter what they wrap them in, gold, silver, whatever, he said, they have no power to save. At some point, and I'm letting you all in on too many secrets tonight. I told you I was never going to get there. Me and my wife were having this conversation the other day about some people that have walked away from God and, boy, a bunch of goofy stuff's happening in their life. And the statement was made, at what point do you just say, man, it's easier to live for God? I, well, I figured somebody at least say amen on that right there. I mean, what do you have to go through? What has to happen? What, what, what does the pig pen really look like before you just wake up and come to yourself one day and say, you know, it was a lot easier to just live for God. It was a whole lot easier to be locked into those quote-unquote rules and restrictions. Yeah. 
Oh, my, my, I'm never going to get there. So his jealousy, his, his omnipotence is revealed to us in his language. That I am, I'm, I'm the only God and beside me there is none. And I really want to get to you tonight some understanding that I think if we're not careful as monotheistic believers, which is the oldest form of God believers. But I'm afraid that we're going to miss the true principle of his revelation. And I want you, I want you to, to listen very, very closely to Pastor tonight, and I'm going to do my best to relate this to you. I think sometimes we get so focused on proving his oneness that has already been proven. That we forget why he showed us through the scripture that he was one. Oh man. He does not just show us through the scripture that he is one so that he can say, look what I did all by myself. It's revealed in Isaiah, and we're fixing to go somewhere else in just a moment and talk about this. The reason he does what he does is so that he's the only one that gets the glory. Hmm. And so we look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we, we, we look at the fourth verse, and we read this, and we quote it, and hopefully you're telling it to your kids. I mean, I, I hope. It was, the, it was the first thing that all three of my kids heard when they came into the world. As soon as the doctor said, it's a girl, and... I looked up at their greasy little old head. The very first thing he said, here, come, come get a close look. And I just leaned down in their ear. He said, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Akkad. It's the first thing that they heard. That's, I want my kids to know that. But why did he tell us to tell our children that? What is the principle? Why does Cyrus need to know that he's the only God? Why? We push so hard to prove that he doesn't have to divide himself, that he is one, and we, I'm afraid we miss that golden ribbon, that thread that runs through. Why is he one? Why is he one? Verse 5 of Deuteronomy 6. Thou... Shout love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Think about this. I, I don't want to throw a cold blanket on your fire. This is not about being able to prove that he is one God. Deuteronomy 6 Yes, it's a candy stick. Yes, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a landmark. Yes, it's, it's a post that we go to. It is absolutely central to what we believe and what we are. Absolutely. But the power of Deuteronomy in 6 and 4 is something that the people had already figured out. 
Look at the language of verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord. Come on, say it with me. He was already their God. You understand what pastor's saying? They already belonged to him. This is why it does not make sense when people are quoting uh, Jesus in the New Testament saying, Lord, which is the most important commandment? And he begins to quote what, what uh, the Hebrews call the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. That's not a commandment. The commandment is to love his nature. You understand what I'm saying? And on this hangs all the law and prophets. The first is a point of information. This is who he is. He's your God. He belongs to us. But all of your attention that you would give anywhere else to anything else and worship anything else is wasted attention and affection. You are to love that one God. And Cyrus, I'm going to give you an opportunity to see the manifested power of this one God. And the way that we see he is worthy of the praise is by showing people that he is not just a way. He is absolutely the way. Because he said, I am the Lord, your God, and beside me, there is no other. They have no knowledge that have to set idols on a shelf. That, that is not knowledge. Oh, my Lord. I'm trying so hard to get. I've, I've got a place I want to get to. And so let's talk about this. Let's talk about what that picture looks like. In this society. When people would build idols. Of course Abram's father. Terah. What we understand. Is that he. He was a maker and seller of idols. And. They would deliver these idols. Take them to people's homes. They would put them in their living area. They put them as a center of attention in the room. And it's, it was said that they would take all of the, the furniture that they would sit on or the, what, you know, however they would do that and they would situate it around the room so that the center of their focus was whatever the God was that was sitting in front of them. Oh boy. Have you ever thought about what the American living room looks like? Oh, it's awful tied up in here right now. I want, you, I want you to think about this, church. I'm not fixing to crack down on, on anybody here and hurt anybody's feelings. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about how easy it is to sit down and watch a sitcom. And when you look up, an hour has passed by. How easy it is to sit down and watch a movie and two hours has passed by. And you go to your prayer closet... And 11 minutes have passed by and you're like, ah. But I told God I'd pray an hour because pastor said, how many hours of prayer can we get this week? And 11 minutes in, I'm burned out. Uh-oh. 
I read this thing the other day that was talking about how we are, information-wise, the most intelligent people that have ever lived, but so reliant on technology for our information that we're actually, please don't be offended when I say this, we're the dumbest generation that there's ever been. We have access to more information than any has ever had. But we're, I mean, sincerely, we're a copy-paste people. Because when, when somebody says, I wonder when such and such nation became liberated. All right, just Google it. Right? Like, my wife is funny. I tell her she's a professional stalker. It's unbelievable. I'll be talking about somebody that's like famous or whatever, and she's like, you know that they're six foot two and weigh 217 pounds? No. We saw this gentleman in, in Hawaii that, that lives there. He's a, he's a famous star. Sitting at the table, and we're like, oh, wow. That dude's made a lot of money, a lot of movies. My wife's like, yep, and him and his wife have been married 25 years. She's his second wife because his first wife died of ovarian cancer. Had four kids, and he raised his last two here on the island. They went to school here, and I'm like. So the next day, we walked up the beach and found his house. Because I found out where he lived. We're not stalkers at all. I, I, I'm, it's, so, it's very, very funny. But I, I want to bring this down to a level here, folks. I, and I, I, I don't, again, I don't, I don't want this to be offensive, but I do hope it's somewhat abrasive. And, and I want you to listen to what I'm telling you. I think we have this concept that idolatry is so stupid because we know we're not going to build a golden calf. Like, none of us are going to take our grandma's jewelry, melt it down, come home and set it on the coffee table and be like, thank you, Granny. But I'd like for you to please consider with me tonight and give some very, very sincere thought to what I would like to call the gods of this world. when they come on the television and they come on the radio they're, they're, they're not all in here tonight so I, I can talk freely about this but your, your children and your grandchildren begin to open up their mouth and sing every word but if you, if you were to ask them tonight to quote to you Acts 2 and 42 Is this, too, is this too much? That your, that your sons can name the first 11 starters of the Indianapolis Colts and could not name five of the 12 apostles. 
Oh, my goodness. Yeah, but man, I've taught my kids to love God. Yeah, but have we taught them to love God with all their heart? Mm. All their soul? All their mind? All their strength? How do you know? You know if it's what they're hungry for. Uh, it's really hard for me to talk about these kinds of things and not be emotional about it. But I'm thankful that I was raised in a house that I would hear my mother praying. But have you ever thought about the fact that your kids, when they go to bed at night, the last thing they hear is the television playing through the wall? And you wonder why they have no peace? When after you've hit the power button, all of the spirits that you released in your house of adultery and perversion, and they're all still running around the house, but it's gone because you turned the power off. talking to someone the other day about filtering programs that they're they're cool you know I, hey i'm behind it's, it's kind of like the lesser of two evils filtered out you can get all the language and all that stuff out and this preacher looked at me we we're just talking about one this preacher looked at me he said so you filtered out the language and you filtered out the sex he said did you filter out the spirit and i was like go ahead and preach on preacher he said, so you cut the scene out, but what about the director that had the spirit that said, we want to lead up to this seducing scene, and we want it to be so powerful that by the time they get to the actual act, it only has to be three seconds because it's all going to be insinuating anyway. But everybody's going to know by the time they built up to it what they were doing. Behind, you didn't even have to see it. Oh, my goodness. And our online crowd just went down to zero. <laughs> we allow them to take ball players, hang them on their wall. Think about it. Can I ask you a sincere question tonight? I'm going to be really sincere with you. Why is it? That if somebody in your family, in your distant family, carries a perverted spirit. And you know they've been involved in adulterous affairs. You know they're drug addicts. You know they've done some pretty crazy things that you tell your kids, don't be alone with them. But these guys running up and down the court, on the field... They've all been in adulterous affairs. Sold drugs, but all they got was suspended three, day, three games for not selling drugs, but taking drugs. But we're like, I hope my kid can play that good. I was, I was in, a, in a meeting this morning. We were talking about some of the saints of this church in a good way. And, and I was speaking to some, some of our leadership in this church, and I said to them, I, I said, you know what? If we're going to raise up next generation leaders, I want them to act just like those people right there. 
I want us to take the people that are living righteous and holy and godly and put our kids up in front of them and say, this right here is what goodness looks like. This is what righteousness looks like. I, I want our Sunday school teachers to be our kids' heroes. I, I, I want our Sunday school teachers to be the, the kind of people that when our kids look at them, they say, you know what? When I have a prayer life, I want to pray like that. Oh, boy. I, I, want, I want us to get a hold of the fire and the passion of what the Lord is speaking in Isaiah 45. And I want to tell you, I, I mentioned this Sunday. I know this is probably slow for some of you tonight, but just stay with me. Talk is so cheap. And we say that we believe that he is the only Savior. But I, I really do wonder tonight if we sincerely believe it. I wonder how convinced we are that Jesus really is the answer. I wonder how convinced we are tonight that this doctrine is really right. How convinced are we tonight that we don't have to take a back seat to what the world is doing and them call it enjoyment. Nobody ever said there wasn't fun in the world but what about us? What about us people? There is no greater joy to me than to be with God's people in the house of the Lord. Amen. To feel the presence of God. To worship. Is there any feeling in the world like lifting your hands and raising your voice and feeling the power of God come on you? Is there anything like it? Well, Pastor, you feel that way because you were raised in the church. I may. But I also know some people in this church that weren't raised in the church. And their language to me is, Pastor, I just thought I knew what good felt like. I just thought I knew what high felt like. I just thought I knew how to get rid of my trouble until I found out there's only one Savior. Until I found out there's only one God. Oh, my, my. So the principle that we find, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hurrying. The principle that we find is that the Lord wants it to be very, very clear. There may be other people that assist. Cyrus, you may assist. You, you, you may help these people. But I am, I'm the only Savior. But I, I fear. I fear that our language may often speak to the fact that he is our only Savior. But the way that we truly know that he has become our savior is that whenever we're looking for a place to hide, a place to get away, a place to, uh, to get out of the present reality that we face, what's the first thing we run to? Because the addict will tell you they run to their addiction. Hmm. The alcoholic will tell you when I need to get away, I just run to the bottle. The pill addict says when I need to get away, I just pop a few pills and mix a few drinks with it and my reality is gone. But what about people that are addicted to Jesus? What about... <laughs> You watch people that are, that, that are addicted. It's what they do first thing in the morning. It's what they got to do at night before they go to bed. 
Is it any coincidence at all that he said, talk to your kids about this when they get up, when they go about their way, when they lay their head down at night. He said, this has got to be an all-day affair, like all the time. Talk to your kids about it. Why? Because if they're going to love him with all their heart, they've got to love him at every phase of the day. They've got to love him when they're confused. They've got to love him when they're lonely. Oh, my goodness. I, I, I think that we've got to get to the place. Uh, I'm trying to be as sweet as I can about this tonight. But we're, we're so afraid of this mentality, and I, I can't wrap my mind around this. I really can't. I grew up hearing tell of it all the time. You've probably heard me talk about it. But it's like we got this fear of this saying that's not, it's not scripture. I've actually, I've actually heard people say it was scripture. But that these people are so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. Folks, I don't want anybody raising hands and I don't want you looking to the right or to the left. But is there really anybody in this building tonight that you're, you're a little bit nervous that they are so spiritual that they're no good to any of us. I mean, is there, is there anybody in here that's just so spiritual today that when you talk to the Lord, it's like, boy, it's just, you, you don't have to wait for a response. He talks audibly to you and you just hear, I mean, you are connected right there. Your bed is next to the throne of God. Anybody? Anybody? I mean, is there anybody in here that when temptation comes, you just, oh, thank you. I am spiritual. Nope. Yet we're so concerned that people are actually going to look at us and say, oh, my God, they are so disconnected. Is that a bad thing? Can you imagine how incredible it would be when somebody said, hey, did you see all that drama that's going on in Hollywood? And we said, hmm. No? I had no clue. Did you see what was written in such and such newspaper? No. No, I didn't. Sorry. I didn't see it. Peace of mind. When I go to bed at night, I can lay my head down and know that there is only one Savior. And He is my Savior. And I can rest in the peace of God and know that He who keeps His mind stayed on Him. God will keep that man in perfect peace. Well, Pastor, don't you think you can become so fanatical that you, like, disconnect yourself from this world? Maybe so, but I don't think any of us have to worry about that. Have I seen people get carried away? Yes. Have I seen people do silly things? Yes. Were they of God? No. Not all the time. I mean, was, was, was the magic Kool-Aid of God? Absolutely not. Did they do it in the name of the Lord? Sure they did. So what does that require? Discernment. Well, how do you get discernment? Well, you can't have discernment if you're not full of the Holy Ghost. It's the Spirit that discerns. But if I walk around empty of the Holy Ghost, empty of my Savior... And the only time I get a fill up is when I pull up to the tank on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. I'm in trouble. 
Church, listen to me. I, I, don't want, I don't want this to be so simple tonight. You're like, no, whatever, Pastor. Listen to me. The devil is not going to bug you while you're sitting in church. He's going to wait till you're by yourself, till you're fighting with your spouse, until you're in trouble at work. He's going to wait till there's no spirituality around you and nobody to lift you up. And then he's going to start attacking your mind. All you got to do is leave. All you got to do is go. All you got to do is quit. The devil doesn't want to mess with you in here. He wants to get you when you're by yourself. Why? Because that's when you're empty. You need to just surprise his britches off. When he comes knocking on the door, just look at him and say, I'm so full of the Holy Ghost. If I was you, I wouldn't be caught around here today. Let's stand together. Man, you should see how good this stuff is I got to teach. Part two tomorrow night. Not really. I'm just joking. Throughout the scripture, I think the reason the Lord was so emphatic throughout the Old Testament, and man, I wish so bad I could have got to this in its fullness tonight, but I think the reason he was so emphatic about his oneness is so that we would understand when he robes himself in flesh and comes to us as a savior. That he was not dividing himself up to be a savior. In the book of Luke, in the book of Luke chapter 1, verse 47, Mary has been told that she's got something conceived in her which is of the Holy Ghost and she says, My spirit hath rejoiced in God, my Savior. In Luke chapter 2 and verse number 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Now I'm going to take you in a hurry to one quick passage. If I could just, just very, very quickly. And I want to... In some way, just, uh, just, just get this down deep in your soul. I want to take you uh, to, let me find it here very quickly. I'm trying to scroll through my stuff. Let's go to the book of Acts, chapter 5. Book of Acts, chapter 5. In the book of Acts, the fifth chapter. The Lord uh, is speaking, let's go uh, all the way out to verse 30, let's go to verse number 29, Acts chapter 5, verse number 29, Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you slew and hanged on a tree, him hath God exalted to his right hand to be a prince and a savior. When you begin to read this in the context, these people had no clue that there was a division of God that would be presented in 300 years from this point. We're trying to divide. The reason God was so emphatic about being the one that receives all the honor and all the glory is that when he's referred to as the savior in the Old Testament, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
God that created. In the New Testament, when he's referred to as the Savior, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that robed himself in flesh and dwelt among us and came as the Savior. It, this is not just so that we can stand up and say, oh yeah, I'm oneness. What does that mean? Are we oneness in theology? Oneness in belief? Or are we oneness in where we give our affection to? Are we just oneness so that we can say, oh, no, 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 we don't, we don't believe in a triune God. You know, we believe in one God. Well, we can say that we believe, but the entire principle of that throughout the scripture is so that we're certain we're only giving one Savior our affection. So whatever it is that takes that affection away from that Savior, the Lord said in our chapter tonight, 45 Isaiah, he said, they have no knowledge. Because this is a God that cannot save them. Tonight, church family, I want to tell you, we are blessed to have the revelation that we have. We are blessed to be a part of the body of Christ. But I don't just want to be oneness in my theology. I want to be oneness in my affection. I want to be oneness in my affection. I don't, I don't want to be distracted. I don't want to let things creep into my family that I'm going to have to pray out for the next six months. I want to be oneness in my affection. Don't you? Let's pray. God, thank you for your church. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your power. Thank you for the authority of the revelation of who you are. But more than anything, God, we don't want to just say that we know who you are so we can tell the world we know who you are. We want to thank you that you are the one that saved us and raised us and turned us around and challenged us to become what you have created us to be. You didn't just create us in your image so that we could tell the whole world we believe in one God. Lord, your word said that the devils also believe that if we believe in one God, we do well. But we want our affection to be set on the one true living God, the only sovereign God. And anything that takes your attention that we owe to you that takes our affection away from you, God. I'm asking you to reveal that to us. Let us fall in love with you all over again every single day. Let us keep our shoulder to the plow. Let us keep your word in our hearts, Lord, that we may not sin against you. Let your word come alive to us, Lord. Become that savior to us, not just in our language but in our affection towards you. And we honor your great name. In Jesus' name, let the church say, Amen.